This week, the CEO of Environmental Material Science joins us to talk about winning Startup TNT's Clean Tech Investment Summit and how his company's soil remediation technology is changing the world. Plus, we'll hear about a University of Alberta spinoff that's raised $9 million in seed financing. Hi, I'm Emily Rendell-Watson. And I'm Faiza Ramji, and this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Okay, so as you just heard, Environmental Material Science won the first Clean Tech Investment Summit just on April 7th. So joining us to break it all down is Steve Siciliano, CEO and President. Hello. Hello. Well, congratulations on the win. That's very exciting. And obviously, uh, winning the inaugural Clean Tech Investment Summit is, I'm sure, an extra little bit of excitement for you. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Environmental Material Science and you know what, what your company is all about? So Environmental Material Science is what we do is we use technology that allows us to track and monitor pollutants in the soil as well as stimulate naturally occurring organisms that live in the soil to clean up difficult pollutants like hydrocarbons that have persisted in soil for you know 20 or 30 years and so hydrocarbons come from like diesel or gasoline spills or sometimes condensate or sometimes crude oil as well okay and so in terms of your soil remediation technology can you can you talk a little bit more about how that works and you know in terms of when we talk about sensors like what are they tracking Well, there's really two components. Well, there's three components to our technology. And so the first part is the biotech side of things. And the biotech side of things, what it does is it adds what is in essence, well, a special diluted fertilizer mix to the soil that has been proven and researched, you know, over the last 30 years by me and my team to uh, stimulate degradation of hydrocarbons. So what we do is we add that fertilizer mix specific for remediation to the soil, and it stimulates the the bacteria and the fungi that live in soil to clean up the hydrocarbons quite effectively. And typically, it it makes them about a hundred times faster than what they would be naturally. So that's the first component. So that would be you know your biotech biostim side of things. And then on the sensor side, what we what happened there was over the years, I got very frustrated because when you're trying to develop technology like this, the traditional method is you go out with a geotech rig, which is this big unit that punches holes in the ground. Sometimes we're drilling six or seven meters deep and we would from that seven meter long. So think about that. That's 21 feet long of soil. We would take out a tablespoon of soil, and then measure how many hydrocarbons were in it. And based on that, try to decide if our technology worked. That was also very expensive to do, and as you can imagine, wasn't very satisfying. So we developed some sensors that would help us determine if our remediation systems were working or not. And we call them the soil sense. And they use new generation infrared detectors, as well as a whole bunch of other sorts of cool tech that allow us to measure biological activity in the soil, hydrocarbons, if the hydrocarbons are degrading, how much carbon is moving into and out of the soil, as well as temperature and moisture. And this all then communicates wirelessly back to our central database where every 30 minutes we can basically take a snapshot of what's going on in the soil. So that's our quantifiers. And then the third part of our technology was actually invented because we were struggling to work on sites up in the Yukon and other sites and trying to understand why sometimes sites don't clean up. Sometimes we call it a stall. 
where you add something to the soil and it just doesn't seem to respond very well. And we we're trying to understand why that was occurring and how we could predict when it stalled. Because as you can imagine, it can be very frustrating. You're trying to clean up a site and then it doesn't clean and you're not too sure why. And so we developed another technology called the optimizer that allows us to basically optimize that biostimulant that we're using so that the microbes that live in the soil will continue to degrade hydrocarbons even when perhaps previously they would have stalled. So that re sounds really interesting. And I think, um, you know, I, I heard some some terms there that make it seem pretty uh, obvious why this is important. But can you tell us a little bit more about what kind of customers you would generally work with and, and how do you engage with them in, in this remediation work? So our customers are typically, you can think about, well, we have a wide range of customers, to tell you the truth. Um, anybody who, first off, you can imagine anybody who operates what we call in the industry is called a downstream uh, location. So you can think about where you filled up your gas this week. That's a downstream location. And sometimes some of those leak and those customers are really interested in trying to clean those sites. And part of the reason for that is traditional techniques. The really the only other traditional technique that works is to dig it all up and ship it away to a land farm or a landfill. But of course, if you dig it all up, you destroy the building. And so we don't like to do that because an average gas station these days costs about $20 million to build, like the above ground. And so if you tear it down, you've just wasted $20 million. Plus, you have to build another $20 million. And so anybody who's running like gas stations often uses our technology, as well as other operators who can't afford to dig up. So if you have an active facility in industry parlance, so if you're a pipeline operator, if you are running some sort of transfer facility, any sort of logistical hub where you can't afford to shut everything down, dig up all the soil that's polluted, confirm that it's not polluted anymore, and then build your infrastructure back, they like to use our technology. And, you know, we've tested our technology. It doesn't induce corrosion. So pipeline operators are pretty happy with it. Those sort of companies, and it allows them to do it in a way that isn't, it's, it's, uh, it's remarkably clean. Like our technology uses 99.99% less uh, greenhouse gases than let's say a traditional excavation. It uses about 95% less water. Of course, most importantly to me as a soil scientist, it doesn't dispose of the soil. In the prairies, what we don't – well, I think we appreciate it more than most people. What most people don't understand is how precious our soil is. You know, it takes about 100 years to make a centimeter of topsoil, is often quoted. And so every time you dispose of a cubic meter of soil, you're getting rid of about 100 million years of, of work, of capital, of, of what we're living off of. And if we dispose of all that, pretty soon we won't have capital left here. And so I think it's really important that this technology – actually makes the soil healthy. And that's how it stimulates remediation. We're not doing anything super fancy to it or weird. We're just making the soil happy again. And as that system starts to get happier, and by system, I mean the soil ecosystem, that it starts to, in essence, uh, I hate to use the word heal itself. That seems a little too colloquial, but that's in essence what it does. Wow. Well, that's a staggering stat about how long it takes to create soil. I, I didn't know that. And I can see the obvious application there in like, you know, the oil sands or in some of the, the refining areas of the world and things like that. And it makes sense. And I, I think it's great that you're doing this in a way that's so environmentally efficient. Are there any other industries where people might be surprised to learn that this type of work or this type of, of technology would be really important and really beneficial? 
Yeah, I think that one of the biggest ones is these days a lot of people use the words ESG, right? Environmental, mm-hmm. social, and governance. And even if you're not moving fuel, like even if you're not a big pipeline company or even a small pipeline company for that matter, most large companies have fuel or other types of pollutants on there. Well, think about someone like, uh, I'll use an example. Let's imagine you were a soft drink distributor. You're just moving around bottles of Pepsi and Coke. Well, you have lots of trucks moving around. You have lots of facilities where things are moving and being stored. And those facilities often have spills. And then they can get stuck in a situation where they have the same problem that like a pipeline does. They can't afford to shut it down, dig it all up and move on. Instead, what they want to do is they want to be able to clean it up while they're still moving their product to other people. So anybody who's involved in logistics often is very interested in our technology. And then the other people who are quite interested in our technology are landlords. So imagine that you bought and built yourself a beautiful strip mall or mini mall or something, beautiful building you've spent Lots of money, maybe $100 million on this, and now you're going to lease it out to tenants, and you're really proud of the space. The problem is when you lease it to your tenants, if your tenants do something that pollutes the soil, you won't know until they move out five years later, and then you're stuck with the problem, and then nobody wants to move into your spot because it's polluted. Our sensors allow those landlords to determine in real time and be able to phone someone up and say, hey, yesterday we saw a spike on your sensors. We think you've polluted something. We're coming down to inspect it now. And so the landlords, the people who own and operate commercial realty are really interested in this as well. So that's uh, any, any sort of corporation that is looking at sort of trying to track and improve its ESG metrics is interested in talking to us about what our technology can do, how it can help them address contaminants or other sorts of pollution. As a side effect of our technology, and this is like most science, it's often actually happens accidentally. So we designed the sensors to really target hydrocarbons and biological activity because I wanted to make sure if we could say if we knew if the soil was healthy, I knew it would clean. But then after I looked at it, I also realized, oh, our sensors also actually detect carbon sequestration because in a soil, this is for soil now. So for soil. Uh, How carbon gets into soil is plants. Plants fix it through photosynthetic activity and they put into the roots. There's only a couple ways that carbon gets out of soil. And one of is it through respiration or fermentation. And our sensors detect that. And then the final way would would either be through erosion or through groundwater movement as it moves off. But our sensors can basically close that part of the loop because it's pretty easy to determine how much carbon plants are fixing and put into the soil. We know those numbers pretty good these days. Um, and But what we don't have is we don't really have really good estimates of how much carbon, how much CO2 that soils are blowing off and how much methane that soils are eating. Because most people don't know that soils are actually one of the world's largest methane sinks. And so if we want to increase the amount of carbon in our soils and decrease the amount of carbon entering our atmospheres, what we want to do is decrease CO2 emissions and increase methane consumption. And our sensors can determine that. So we're getting interest from people from across the spectrum. Basically, any company that shares our worldview that saving the soils will save the world They don't say it like that. Of course, I say it like that. (laughs) I don't think you would ever hear the CEO of a Pepsi say, oh, I want to save the soils. But that's really what she should be thinking, because that, in my opinion, is the way to save the world. But uh, those companies share our worldview are very interested in our technology. And I think that's one of the reasons that uh, at that Clean Tech Summit, TNT was so interested because, you know, TNT is a unique organization 
They have a wide variety of VCs. And so you kind of get this crowdsourcing effect where many different people are looking at technology and thinking, oh, is this a good idea or not? And so it's a, it's not just convincing one people, one person. I think in this case, it's had to convince 38 people or 39. It was a lot. So that was, uh, I think that was a big uh, vote of confidence for EMS. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now, uh, Stephen, you mentioned the start of TNT Summit. Uh, can you share with us how much financing you were able to secure there? Their work, it's likely going to increase. At a minimum, it was uh, $250,000. So that was a nice vote of confidence. So I'm, I think it might go up from there. They're not too sure. That's normally how TNT, normally the number in TNT bumps around for a week or two, but uh, for sure. And I know that there were other side deals that are still being finalized. And I'm sure that felt, uh, you know, pretty good when they announced that uh, EMS had won. Oh, it was a total shocker. I was actually sitting up in the back because uh, I hadn't there. Did, if you saw the pitch, there were amazing companies pitched there, like truly amazing companies. And of course, I think my company's great. But at the same time, I got to tell you, those other companies just looked fantastic. And so I was like, oh. My goodness, what you know the the choices at that clean tech summit were amazing. Are you gonna, you know, did you want to did you want to invest in uh, nano zinc technology to revolutionize battery production or those carbon fiber solar panels? There were so many great ideas there, and companies that were making money and had real tech. Like it wasn't just oh, I have this crazy idea. All these companies had customers, they had revenue. The work by uh, Prairie Robotics with their waste treatment, that was amazing to think about how they're going to improve recycling. I was just, I was, yeah, so I was shocked, but very pleasantly surprised. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was nice. I'm still kind of in shock a little bit because I'm, uh, it's still kind of sinking in. Now, what, what is your plans for those funds? Like, obviously, I know you don't know the full amount yet, but, but what will you use that for? We're going to use that in sort of two areas. One area is we're um, hiring additional business developers because what we've found is if we find the right people with the right worldview, they can. And uh, one of the great there's so many great products out there that if we can get in front of more customers, I'm sure we'll get more and more sales. And so getting that right person, bringing them on full time, I think will be fantastic. And then a second part, we'll be bringing on an additional. So One of the unique things about EMS is those sensors we're using generate, well, now I think it is close to the world's largest soil flux database. You know, we have over 12 million estimates of carbon moving in and out of the soil and soil health. And so we're now managing relatively large databases. And so we need our our database, our database system, which was good for the first three years, is kind of creaking under the load. <laughs> so we're going to hire a, a database data flow person to help our AI people so that they can focus full time on the new algorithms and not worry about so much to make sure that the database doesn't collapse under its own weight. Steve, you mentioned earlier that a lot of the companies that were at the Clean Tech Summit already had customers and were already, you know, actively doing business. And I know that you had planned to work on about 16 sites this year, but you have a considerably larger number of customers. I know you mentioned the the fact that when you align with a worldview, it's kind of easy to to sell the solution, but how did you guys actually start getting customers and what are you finding is resonating the most with them? Our primary customer is, they're a change leader in their organization. So typically these people are normally somewhere in their mid thirties, maybe early forties. They've got a fair amount of experience. You know, they, they've been around their industry for 10 or 15 years and they're frustrated because 
They're seeing the same technological problems, and the status quo isn't just isn't just cutting it for them. You know, they don't really want to. They really want to make a difference. And a lot of these people are actually in the oil and gas industry, and so they're like, "Well, how can I make my industry cleaner?" And then they start. They reach out to EMS, and we talk. And if they have sites that fit you know, the description I provided earlier about active, then it's a pretty easy sell because we're cheaper than the alternatives and we're more effective and uh, it's more sustainable. So once we get those people engaged with us, then they talk to their colleagues and say, hey, you know, we've got this, you should try out this new clean solution because there is a fair amount of snake oil salesmen in this market where a lot of people Look, there's a lot of people banging on the doors of these companies, telling them they've solved the issues that these companies are struggling with for 30 or 40 years. And so it's really sort of that network effect where, you know, you you do a good job for one person and then they tell their friend and that person then approaches us and tries a site. And what we were surprised at, I think, for the, the upside surprise with us was how quickly more and more people were willing to jump on the bandwagon and try our technology. So were they finding you faster than you could find them? Or is it, do you kind of go out and chase them more intentionally? No, they're finding us typically. (laughs) Yeah, no, they're trying to find us because there's people out there who, if you can help them navigate, you know, and and work with them to figure out, oh, how can we improve your process? How can we, because there's so many professionals out there in the environment who've been dealing with a difficult site you know, some sites clean really easy. Some spills are really easy to deal with. And some spills, some of the sites I we're working on, they stopped operation in the 70s and they're still not clean. And people get really flustered, like, we need to clean this. We can't leave this and it's too dangerous. And so they are looking for new approaches to it. And, you know, this technology that EMS is based off, it was developed in collaboration with Federated Co-op because Federated Co-op knew that if they could make a technology that would work in the prairies, it would not only benefit all of their co-op members, but also the entire prairie community. Because up until now, there really hasn't been a technology that addresses the needs of Western Canada, because Western Canada is a unique place, right? We're heavily glaciated. I mean, I'm sitting looking at a snowstorm right now in April. It's cold temperatures. Our soils are a particular type of soil called calcareous, which makes it a little challenging to remediate. Even though they're super fertile, there are challenges when you pollute them. And so I think that, yeah, no, our customers actually more coming to us. And I think as we get the word out, more and more will come to us. Now, Steve, when I was listening to your pitch at the the Clean Tech Summit, you mentioned yourself and your co-founder, Derek Peak are two of the top soil scientists in the world. How did you two meet and how has that combined experience been really integral to building EMS? So we met because we were hired on the same day at the University of Saskatchewan a long time ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so, and um, Derek came up here because Canada had just built its synchrotron and he invented a new way to measure phosphorus and synchrotron. So he came up here to help uh, the CLS get going. And then I was hired the same, literally the same day, although I wasn't here, I was actually up in the Arctic that very day. And so we kind of grew up professionally in the same department, just a couple doors down. And so we'd often chat about problems and Derek Derek's more of a fertility expert than I am, and I'm more of a, I've always been more of a remediation person. And so I'd often ask him questions or he would bounce ideas off me. And so like most good ideas, it came from that kind of frisson between a chemist and a microbiologist trying to come up with solutions to difficult problems. Oh, wow. That's, uh, I imagine after spending so much time together, you uh, working in the same area, but have learned a lot from each other as well. 
Uh, no, I, I know that your head office is in Saskatoon, uh, where you are right now, but you also have a presence in Edmonton. Um, I was actually, in, in trying to learn more about EMS, <laughs> a bit confused because I think on your LinkedIn, it might say that you're in Edmonton. I know you have a 780 number as your contact on your website. So can you tell me a bit more about how you're working in both cities and, and why that's a, a crucial part of the company? Well, it's crucial because of two of our co-founders are Genesis Capital, which is based in Edmonton. And so the company really, its business operations started in Edmonton. And because if you think about any sort of tech business, there's three components to it. There's the science, there's the technology, and there's the business. And each one of those steps is harder than the first. When we started off EMS, we started off with Genesis Capital's sort of business development team. They, they, like they're an angel investment team. And what that means is they'll come in and they'll actually help people like me and Derek, who might have a great science and perhaps the glimmerings of a good technology, and then make it into a successful business model. And so we were lucky enough that some of our key personnel, like our director of remediation, lives in Edmonton. Our director of engineering lives in Edmonton. Most of our business development team is in Edmonton. And the nice thing about Edmonton and Saskatoon is we're connected by a very good highway that's super easy to sort of drive. And then in Saskatoon, we were, you know, we, we this is where most of the scientists are. And so it works out pretty well. I, 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 I don't see it as a challenge at all. And I'm a big believer that. In this day and age, you don't really need to move people to all be in the same location between mm -hmm. Zoom and everything. And we see each other quite a bit. Edmonton also has a couple advantages. You know, there's a lot of great engineering teams in Edmonton just from their experience in the oil patch. And a lot of those engineers are very interested in helping address sustainability challenges because you say, well, I need you to make this. I need you to make it cheaper. I need to make it. And they, they really kind of latch into that. Uh, whereas Saskatoon has quite a strong sort of chemistry spectroscopy department because of the work with uh, the synchrotron as well as the work with sort of the local what the local hub is like in terms of soil science so i personally think it's working out really well because we're really uh, leveraging edmonton's excellence in engineering with saskatoon's excellence in soil science and to my u of a colleagues i know the soil science department is good there too but i just think we're better <laughs> Well, Steve, you mentioned you, you kind of like a, an economic development uh, billboard because you hit so many good key messages. But I can't help but think every time you say synchrotron, I think about transformers. And uh, I'm sure there's no connection between synchrotron and transformers, but that's where that's where my mind always goes. But I do think your point about people needing not needing to be in the same place uh, is a good one. And especially because, I mean, as you were kind of explaining who could use your technology and who could be a customer of EMS, it feels like you could probably benefit from having teams in different places globally as you start to kind of broaden your your customer base, but also like the spectrum of problems that you're able to actually solve. So that's exciting that you're starting that way to begin with. The next thing for me that I wonder is, is what's next for you guys? You guys are already on a really great trajectory and you've got a little bit of investment capital coming in. Um, what's the plan? So the plan is we are, are currently raising, we have an open round where we're hoping to raise another $2 million in VC funding and then another few million from the government as well. And then we'll use that to expand into the northern U.S. markets and start to move our, our soil senses to other markets. That's kind of the, the general plan. And then also, I mean, our technology. So I spent a lot of my life working in Canada's Arctic on their uh, contamination problems. And they're quite severe in terms of their fuel spills. 
And I think our technology is incredibly well suited for their situation because it, it doesn't, the operation, the on-site operation can be performed uh, with a little bit of training. And uh, as a result, I think that I'm excited to see if we can start using our technology in Northern Canada and help out the territories as they manage some of their persistent hydrocarbon pollution. So that's kind of the future is to uh, close out our raise here in the next four or five weeks, which is looking very likely. And then hopefully, you know, in, in the nature of startups everywhere, uh, start a new funding round in about uh, two years, hopefully at a much higher valuation. Amazing. Well, good luck with all of that. And uh, it definitely sounds inspiring. And I know you've at least got two new cheerleaders. I'm sure you have a, a bunch more uh, based on whoever's listening to this this episode, because it was really, really uh, insightful. And, you know, I think it definitely gives us something to look forward to in terms of what technologies are coming out of Canada that, that will have a big global impact. So thank you for, for sharing some of that with us and, and good luck with, uh, with the next few years. Oh, thank you very much. And thanks for your interest. So as soon as we wrapped up that interview, realized that this was in fact not the first clean tech investment summit, it is the second. I mixed up the clean tech investment summit with the life sciences summit, which also recently happened in March. And Startup TNT is just having so many successful summits. There's another one coming up pretty soon here that's just their their next sector agnostic summit, I guess you could call it, that they've had a couple of now. So I'm mixing them all up. So my apologies to folks who listened to the beginning of the episode and, and heard that it was the first clean tech investment summit. There has already been a winner but this was the second one and still just as important. Bloom is brought to you by Innovate Edmonton. So we have a little ad for you here from them. In our last couple episodes, you would have heard a conversation from Taproot's co-founder, Mac Mail, and the CEO of Innovate Edmonton, Catherine Warren, and they were talking about inclusive innovation. Here is a little bit more from them on that conversation. Well, Catherine, this has been really helpful to understand more about how Innovate Edmonton is thinking about inclusive innovation. I love this meta idea of needing to innovate on innovation. If people want to know more about either the topic or what Innovate Edmonton is doing on this, where should they go? What what would be your parting uh, advice for them? Well, first and foremost, I would say participate in any one of our many free Programs. So we invest about 50% of our budget in delivering free programs for local entrepreneurs and idea makers. And I hope our listeners today will sign up for a deeper dive on how to grow their own inclusive innovation companies. Uh, We also have a suite of videos that feature local companies innovating to address global challenges, things like the climate emergency, public health, food security. Um, digital inclusion, reconciliation. Check out those videos. But also, if you want to tell your story to the world and need our help to do that, let us know what you're up to and then we can run with that story. We also publish a weekly Innovation Blast newsletter that showcases homegrown innovators in action. And if you're looking for help on the HR side of things around building an inclusive culture of innovation, you can reach out to our manager of people and culture for guidance on inclusive hiring and training. Uh, We are a resource for Edmontonians. I would also just love to share um, one of my own inspirations this month. 
I'm reading a book called The Mission Economy, and it's a moonshot guide to changing capitalism. Um, it shifts the global focus on shareholder value to what I would call stakeholder values. And it's a great read, and it would be ideal for any business book club readers out there. I would love to also hear people's opinions having read the book. And we give public talks on topics like innovation ecosystems, enlightened economies, sustainable urban development. And um, lastly, I would just say that we appreciate that when we invite people into this concept of inclusive innovation, they get so excited. It just turns off on all the light bulbs. And we know we can make things better together for the environment, for society, for the economy. And so this is why Innovate Edmonton exists and what we can do for the community. Fantastic. And lots of great resources for people to check out. I personally will definitely have that uh, book added to my list. So thanks for the recommendation. Catherine, it's been so great talking to you. Uh, I hope you'll come back again soon. I will indeed. Thank you so much, Mac. Well, in other news, EMS was not the only successful company that pitched at the Cleantech Investment Summit. Edmonton's Nanode Battery Technologies was also able to secure a side deal. We don't know the confirmed amount, but it sounds like at least $250,000 will go to Nanode Battery Technologies, Lightleaf Solar, and Piketa Systems. If you don't know what Nanode Battery Technologies does, they are working on components to make batteries even better. They are working on batteries that can help with electric vehicles, portable electronics, and energy storage for intermittent renewable energy resources. Graphite is usually used in the anode where current flows into the battery, and that material is not meeting the needs of these larger batteries anymore. So what Nanode is doing is they're working on using a metal alloy, which they say has a higher energy storage capacity, is simpler, and requires less manufacturing time. And the funds they raise from this summit will help them with their research and get this new battery out to market sooner. Well, that is very exciting uh, that we had two Edmonton-associated companies that were successful coming out of the Cleantech Investment Summit. And uh, another Edmonton company was actually successful in raising some funds, quite uh, quite a few funds actually, recently. So Drug Bank announced that it has raised $9 million in seed financing led by BrightSpark Ventures. And uh, they made the announcement a little earlier this week on April 11th. And if you aren't familiar with Drug Bank, it started as a research project out of the University of Alberta. And it's, you know, really grown since. I actually remember hearing about this company when it was kind of, I think, in its beginning stages. It must have been back when I was working at CBC and was starting to hear a little bit about it and wasn't quite sure what it was. And I've been amazed to see over the last couple of years how it's grown, but also, and not just in what it does, which I'll talk about in a second, but also just even in, I feel like on LinkedIn all the time, like even watching how they're growing their company on the people side of things and how they're, the culture they're trying to build is really good to see. So what they're doing is um, they're building, they've built a comprehensive drug knowledge platform. So they use AI to research, gather, and compile the latest biomedical information into their platform. And that powers advanced healthcare apps and drug research. So they have about 12 million users, or more than 12 million users. And um, the platform serves 13 of the world's top 
20 pharmaceutical companies. So Drug Bank plans to use the $9 million in funding to scale its operations by expanding its AI-powered technologies to work on some major industry problems as well as invest in R&D. That's pretty amazing. Good luck to all these companies. That's, that's some great capital flowing into Edmonton and hopefully a ton of new talent as well. Well, that's it for this week. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. And you can also visit taprootedmonton.ca for the latest innovation news. Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave Von Beaker and cover art by Vicky Wersinski. 